Welcome to Writing the Wrong Way, a podcast for readers who want something strange and exciting and writers who need something new. If you want to support this podcast, please consider buying my new book, The National Gallery. I'm extremely proud of this book because it may be my best book, and it is certainly my most personal and heartfelt book. But just because I say it's heartfelt doesn't mean it isn't full of weirdness, like sonnets about Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and elegies for my dead iPhone. Uh, For a limited time, if you buy a copy of the National Gallery directly from me, I will sign it, and I will also send you a signed copy of my previous book, The Politics of Knives, for no additional cost. So you can order the book and get your free book uh, with it at thenationalgallery.ca. That's thenationalgallery.ca. I'm also excited because it is my 10-year anniversary as an author. My first book, Ex Machina, was published in October 2009, and to celebrate, uh, now that it is 2019, as I record this, I've made Ex Machina available as an ebook for the first time. It was never available as an ebook previously, uh, and I'm giving that ebook away for free at jonathanball.com/freebook. So, uh, go to jonathanball.com/freebook, and you can sign up, uh, get. All my ex- exciting news uh, when it's you know exciting and new, uh, and other free resources that I'll just you know send you as I create them, uh, plus a free book. Um, and again, you can go to the nationalgallery.ca uh, if you want to find out more about my new book uh, and get a free uh, book as well when you order that. So three, two free books and a paid book <laughs> available to you. In any case. Um, Let's get into the show. I'm talking to Robin Richardson of Citadel. Uh, and Robin, could you tell uh, listeners a little bit about what a Citadel is, uh, what you mean by an MFA alternative, uh, and just you know the general difference between sort of Citadel and, say, a more traditional MFA program? Uh, sure, yeah. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me. And hi, Jonathan. Um, so Citadel... Is, I'm marketing it as an MFA alternative because you're basically, the idea is you're getting just about everything you would in the MFA program um, without the certification necessarily, although we're working towards that in the future. But I've been informally uh, mentoring and running workshops with a lot of emerging writers, some of whom have had MFAs and some of whom haven't. But everyone finds this kind of an essential path um, because you're getting individualized attention that you don't really get in your MFA program. So I wanted to turn it into um, its own brand and have a membership-based program where you kind of, you come in and you get your workshops, you get seminars, you get various lectures and connection with the community, and you get, most importantly, really individualized attention that's tailored to your needs. So each of our members come in, they have an intake call and we ask them what it is they want to accomplish this year and how we can help them do that. So I've been working individually with a lot of the members who we already have, sort of either you know, poetry from the ground up or how to um, finish up a chapbook and get it published. And I'm offering really practical advice on how publication works, how to communicate with editors, how to do a reading, how to use social media, and helping people accomplish these goals one-on-one. Uh, so we're working on hiring mentors from diverse backgrounds and with diverse uh, specialties and forms and genres so that members have access to whatever mentor they want and then can switch it up throughout the year or you know I, I have someone right now who's doing half the year poetry with me and then we'll be doing half the year fiction with someone else so 
Oh, I forgot the other layers of that question. What else is there? Well, I guess the other sort of other thing that comes out of that is um, what kind of students do you think um, would fit best in this program? It sounds very directed, which uh, I think Mm -hmm. is, as you say, one of the sort of um, problems of an MFA program is that it is a bit... uh, you and you're in a classroom, and this kind of the classroom is about this thing. You do get some individual attention, but it's not necessarily really specifically tailored to where you're at. Um, whereas it sounds, you know, with the Citadel system is a bit more specific to like where's a student at, what are they trying to accomplish specifically. Um, exactly. Uh, but is there any sort of level at which you think that student needs to to be uh, to get the most out of this program, or like uh, like what 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 is maybe the I guess the simplest question is like, who is it for exactly? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we do pass over the the really really beginner poets. I think you need to at least be at the point where, or writers in general, where you have had some experience, you've been doing some workshops, and at least you have the attitude of, I know I'm okay, but I want to get better, and I have goals. So, and then, and within that, there's a a broad range. Um, some people who have published books and are, but have been on hiatus for a long time and want to get back into it and get into the community and find out what's happening in contemporary Canadian literature without just jumping in by themselves. They need that support system. And some people who are really emerging have never published, but have a, you know, they've been reading and they know what they're doing more or less. They just need, they just really need to get into the the technicalities of it and connect with more people. So we have a pretty broad range, but generally, you know, we also have a screening process as, as we become more popular. So we're, we're, you know, as we move forward, we might be asking people to resubmit in a year or two when they feel more ready. Part of what we want to do is have a community of writers that we feel are strong to represent us and that we want to represent. So taking some time and making sure you have a direct path before applying is, is pretty important. Um, but outside of that, there's a there's a great range because we are able to, um, as you say, customize for each student's needs. That, it, 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 could you talk a bit about the importance of having that kind of clarity around your goals, or even what maybe you might do in the program to help a student get you know maybe greater clarity around their goals? Because I find when I do mentorship myself, um, one of the the first thing I do is like ask the students as you say, sort of an intake like you're talking about and ask people, what do you even like want to be doing? And mm-hmm. I find there's often a lot of confusion. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. once they really boil down, to, like they maybe have a vague idea, but they don't know precisely maybe what they really want. And so people coming to the Citadel is maybe are going to have a clear vision of that. But I'm wondering if you have, uh, like, what's at the start of that process? Like, when you, once you come in yeah. and you're doing, you do that intake uh, interview, uh, what's sort of coming out of that? Like, what's the sort of next step for, that a student might go through? Because you just walk through, like, the student experience a little bit in terms of how you would have it, how, how it might unfold for somebody who's getting into the yeah. Citadel program. Well, yeah, and interestingly, I think a lot of the time the goals that they have end up, I end up moving them a little bit because it's a collaborative process. So, I mean, the, the, the sort of first characteristic I look for in a student is um, a willingness to let go of a little bit of power and a little bit of direction in order to take that instruction and, and grow with it. So that willingness to grow and, or slow down or speed up depending on what I see or what their mentor sees as good for them. So it's not it's not to relinquish complete control, but to say, 
you're here because you need something and to let go a little bit and, and let us guide you. So that's a big part of it. I, I do intakes with people all the time and say, okay, well, what I want to do is publish a book this year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I say, well, you know, <laughs> you know, one of, one of the first pieces of advice I give is slow down because imagine what you can learn this year if you really focus on improving your work and attending these seminars and getting to know poetry better and, and shelve that idea of the book because the longer you take to hone your craft, the, the stronger a book will be when you finally come out with it. So I, I end up curbing expectations a lot is what happens in that, in that intake interview. We're not here to just say, okay, whatever you want to do, we're going to, and I find that in the MFA programs, I, I found that my experience was like, you know, there was a lot of, okay, yeah, you're doing a good enough job and I can help you do this if you want. But there wasn't a lot of more aggressive, um, slow down, do this, don't do that. This is a direction you should explore before you jump into this one. So it's a lot about, um, I'll kind of listen to where the, the member is at, I'll read their writing, and I'll start to give assignments and reading recommendations and feedback based on what I think they need to explore more of in order to become a better writer. I, um, I find that students often have a conflict between, like, sh- they, they often are focused on a short-term goal or a long-term goal, but they don't have both uh, the ability to sort of see both in mind sometimes. So sometimes I'll see, as you say, like people are very focused on a short-term goal, like I want to have this book done and do this and do that. But they don't necessarily understand how maybe that would fit into a long-term career. Like what's exactly. their career? Or vice versa. Mm-hmm. They'll have like some career vision, but maybe don't know like what to do. Maybe they're focused on something next that they shouldn't be. Like, And sometimes, as, and often, like you say, it's a book. Um, not that people shouldn't be writing books, but, uh, but I do think you're right to point out like the MFA program really seems to push you in this direction. Like everybody's got to have a book. You're going to come out with a book, which is fine, but it's maybe not what everyone needs. Well, and there's also a difference between coming out with a book and coming out with a great book. Yes. And so I do try to, and these are all things like a lot of what I'm teaching, I'm teaching because I figured it out too late and I made a lot of mistakes. (laughs) And so I'm here to say, well, after 15 years of doing it this way, I can tell you how you're going to be derailed if you, if you take this approach. And so you're, I'm able to kind of give that scope to the students of saying, okay, you could publish a book this year and it could be okay. And somebody will probably publish it, but think about how that, what that is as a building block to your 30, 40, 50 year career. And, And if we, if we pan out a little bit and focus on a really solid foundation with a really good sense of craft and a really good sense of how to navigate the publication world and who you want to publish your book. I mean, that's another thing I've had people sort of jump at the first offer. And I, I felt like, Oh, I wish you would just work with me another year and think about who would really be more appropriate to publish your book. I remember when I was younger, I, I was meeting a bunch of older writers or just writers who were, you know, very much further along than I was. And I was, you know, getting frustrated, you know, uh, trying to work on different things, trying to get things done. And I remember, like, seeing a lot of people putting out a, a book and then being really disappointed in it and putting out a book. And then, like, there was, you know, or they would talk to people they were shy about their first book or whatever. And I remember, like, making a decision, which I think served me well, which was that I would not rush to put out a book as much as I wanted to. Because uh, I didn't mm-hmm. want to be ashamed of my first book. Uh, and I was really specific about it. I don't want to be in the position where, one, I'm ashamed of my first book. But, two, I don't want to be a one-book you know, writer. And, you know, it was very kind of tough to get in that mental space. Um, and I, but I, I think it served me well overall. And I, I wish I had been able to, 
you know, take more guidance and kind of do it sooner. Like you're saying, like sometimes it's just about giving it up. Um, your idea of what you think um, the next steps are, because maybe different steps towards that same goal would 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 be easier or or just more would get you there with a better book or, or what have you. Um, yeah. Can you talk a bit more about like where this idea for Citadel came from and sort of how it, you know, I mean, it sounds like it came very much out of your own experience and your own um, things, sort of things you were already doing. So I'm wondering like a little bit about how did you decide to and why did you decide to move into this more ambitious project of, you know, Citadel? Yeah, it was... I, I, it's very organic because I've, I've just had these clients that I've been working with for so long who've been coming in some, uh, Paula Fuente is a good example. She's come to almost every workshop I've hosted for the last three years and hired me as a mentor and then hired me to look over more things. And I was getting more and more clients like that who wanted in on everything. And, and, and a lot of the feedback I was getting was they love the sense of community that it gave and the sense of support and the fact that, they, that, they could work with someone who knew their whole trajectory and knew their body of work. And I just thought, how good would it be if, if that could all fit under an umbrella and have a name and have a brand to it and be something that people can really officially be a part of and relate to. And then you don't have to worry about, um, Oh, can I swing this workshop or that one? Once you're, I mean, and, and I'll talk a bit about how it works. Once you're a member of Citadel, an urban member, um, you have, you have the mentorship, which is, I believe, um, 20 pages of, of feedback on poetry, line edits, and assignments twice a year. And that sort of individualized career uh, help. So I'll answer a lot of emails about, you know, how should I try to get an agent? Or um, I want to write this application for this writer's residency. Will you help me fix that up? So all these little things um, always available to do. And then what you get is absolutely unlimited access to any of the events, workshops, seminars, lectures that we're throwing. So nobody has to sit there looking at their budget and thinking of what they can attend and everyone feels like they're a part of something. And I think that sense of being a part of something and just having unlimited access. So you just write me an email and you're registered so long as it isn't full. Um, the goal with programming is to have, I, I generally host about one event a week or more, uh, nine months of the year. So it's pretty full. You can get a lot out of it if you, if you want but yeah, in terms of how it formed, I think it I think it was very organic. It just suddenly seemed like the absolutely necessary next step. And can you talk a bit about the as you say, like a bit more about the program itself and how it kind of maybe works? Um, so again, if you just walk a bit further down, like the student experience. So somebody tomorrow uh, gets in, applies, and gets into this or is accepted into the Citadel. What's going to happen over the next year? So um, first thing is that intake call um, in which we determine what kind of work they're going to be sending. And, and it really depends on the student, but a lot of them will say, give me the top five, ten poets you're reading. Give me your work. Tell me where, where you're going with it. Um, I start working on that, generally turn that around within a month or two. And so we have that ongoing one-on-one -on -one mentorship with their work uh, going on throughout the year. And like I said, I help with grant applications and residency applications. And then you've got, for instance, tomorrow I'm hosting a seminar, a four-week seminar on the craft of poetry. So I have 10 of our members will be here tomorrow from 6 to 10. Uh, might not go that long because it's the first week, but they're generally two to four hours, depending on attendance. 
And then I'm walking you through really understanding meter and, and then understanding um, different approaches to content. And so you'll have all, all of this sort of access to craft um, seminars. And then in the same month, you'll have a workshop that you can attend and come workshop with other members, what you're, you've been working on, maybe from the seminar or maybe on your own or maybe something you want in addition to the mentorship we've been doing. Then there are seminars for creativity. So there's something called accessing the unconscious. So you can register. And again, you can register for all of these so long as you do it fast enough. Um, so accessing the unconscious, we're focusing more on what are, you know, cause often I find poets have, and I'm focusing on poets because that's where my specialty is. As we get other mentors in, the programming starts to branch out and they'll be offering their own courses. Um, but so I'm trying to provide a really full, full curriculum so that you're getting, okay, the craft, but you're also getting content because I find a lot of, of new writers have this idea of what a poem sounds like, but they don't really have anything to write about because they haven't been thinking about their lives in any depth or their own um, unconscious, their own sort of interesting processes or, or a way of processing the world around them. So we have a three or four week seminar on accessing the unconscious where we really, we really dig into personal archetypes and personal perspectives on the world and universal themes and personal themes. And then, so you're gathering that. So it's a lot of focus on creativity, understanding what you actually have to say and then having the confidence to say it and the craft to say it. As we move on, I want to expand to also, I don't know if this will start this year, although I, I'd like to, um, booking a week or two somewhere in the winter where uh, members can register for a discounted fee and other people can register and we can do a kind of collective overnight week-long retreat. And eventually, another goal eventually is to have a, a house where we can have regular writing retreats as well. Um, so, yeah, and that... Sorry. Uh, so I'll, I'll just sorry, and then you, and then so I was tr trying to think because you asked about the whole year. So then there's there's other there's a sort of check-in calls throughout the year just to see how progress is going and see if there are any requests or any other needs, um, and guest lecturers who come in with other with others. I mean, we have like Charlie Patch is coming in to talk about how to do a you know stand at the mic and and make a joke when you feel awkward or how to you know hold your book so that you're not covering your face when you give a public presentation. These kinds of practical career things. Um, and then at, you know, towards the end, again, we reassess and see where you come with your goals and what else we need to meet before the year closes. And can you talk about the difference between an urban membership and the distance membership? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, and actually thinking of the distance membership, there's another, so we also have what we call the vault on our website and I'm, I'm working on a few other programs that we can get people registered on and maybe there'll be an app where all of this is updated constantly, but the vault, which is a big important thing for distance memberships is where we're keeping things like interviews and guest blog posts from our, from our mentors, um, PDS from every seminar and audio or video from the seminars and the workshops. So everyone has online access to everything as well. So that's open to all members. And that's a key point for the or the distance members. And the distance membership, basically, I just started because people were asking for it. People were saying, "What? Well, how can I access this without being in Toronto? So I came up with a lower price point for people who weren't going to be attending the events, um, but then promised that there will be 
PDFs from every handout from the event and audio for them online so they, they can access the material. They just can't be in the room. And they get more feedback. Um, so some people might even be in the city and not want to attend the event and get a distance membership because they want, instead of 20 pages, 40 pages. And they want, instead of twice a year rounds of edits, they want four times a year. So you're getting more uh, of the lo- of the kind of individualized attention and less of the in-person. And that's the primary difference. And when it comes to, this might be your other question, but when it comes to the mentors, the, the it kind of works in reverse in terms of how much they make. So how it works with a mentor is you pay your membership fee and then you choose your mentor and I pay them out from that fee. So if it's an urban mentor, I give them $600 uh, because I'm still providing all of these services in the city. And if it's a distance mentor, they're doing more work. So we have a higher price point for them. Uh, and because I don't worry as much about providing about sort of taking up seats in the workshops and seminars in the city for distance members. And how does the mentorship work uh, in the sense of, so, so if I'm a student coming in, I get matched with the mentor, um, depending on what I'm doing. Right. Uh, and then do I still have access to the other mentors? Like if I come into say, say I myself, were going to join Citadel to work with Robin Richardson as on a poetry book. Um, do mm-hmm. I still have access to say talking to Russell Smith about fiction or like, how does that all work? I mean, so recently and I, I'm only, I only know how that might work because I've had a request for it. So I just spoke to a member who wants to do half the year poetry with me and half the year fiction with another mentor who I haven't officially hired yet. So I won't say who she is, but so we're just going to, we're just going to split that. And, and, um, and so it's possible, but I think it has to be kept pretty simple. It can't be like, I want to call everybody every week. Um, I have to really figure out how that would work. So at this point, though, if you want to do half and half, that's very easy to do. The other way to access other mentors is once a mentor signs on and gets their first member to work with, they agree to do three events per year. So you can always attend a workshop with Russell, for instance, and get feedback and see whatever he's offering throughout the year. Sure, that makes sense. So it's more this like it's very one on one, but then there's you know this kind of infrastructure around it where, as you say, you might be you know getting recordings of this events or able to go to these events where these other people might be there and so on and so forth. And as you say, you're, you're vaulting a lot of this material as well to make it accessible in the future. It sounds like is is, is what you're talking about with the, that vault. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Uh, and so what you sign on as a member you get I mean three years from now you sign on and you get that backlog of three years of everything we've been producing and putting out oh wow mm-hmm. that's interesting and so uh, how is all this infrastructure building up is this just something that you know is kind of happening privately or do you have like some uh, you know kind of council funding behind this or, or how is how, how'd you kind of set in motion making it a more um, like something much bigger than just what than what you were doing before. I mean, it was lucky enough that, I mean, aside from some initial investment in terms of turning my apartment over into something that was really conducive to this kind of thing, uh, and eventually I'll be upgrading, but it started to pay for itself very quickly with the members who came on board right away, just made an announcement on social media and got a lot of members who were not only excited for what they were going to get, but were really, really excited to be basically investing more or less, you know, supporting it from the ground up and knowing that uh, we would need that support. So right now we don't have any uh, government funding and I'm not sure if I would go that route. I'm talking to 
a lot of publishers who are interested in maybe being donors or friends of Citadel in exchange for some cross-pollination. You know, maybe they can send some of their um, authors here when they need a year to send it, kind of refresh what they're doing, and we can mention them at our workshops and sort of keep them in mind when we have places we want to send our our um, our members. So I think, and I love that too because I, it's a great it's a great way to, to really to really emphasize that community involvement. So I, and again, I won't say who yet, but I'm I'm meeting with quite a few people who are interested in finding a way to collaborate because I mean it's it's. It's paying for itself so far, but there are things this year I've kind of done the math, and there's there's about twenty thousand dollars worth of legal and uh, administrative work that that needs to get funded somehow. Now, maybe I'll just know for people listening. Uh, if you're listening to this and you're kind of looking at Citadel's website and you're curious about the programs, one, one, if you're living in Canada, one of the th- uh, one of the things that I uh, I don't know a uh, ton of details about this, Rob, and you can maybe talk more about this, but mm-hmm. but I can tell already from what I can see that this would be eligible for uh, professional development grants, like, like as yeah. an individual artist getting, you know, professional putting in, you know, if you, you know, you could easily uh, as an artist apply to, you know, have the tuition covered to some degree, uh, if not fully through different, depending on where you're living and what grants you're eligible for. Um, can you say more about that sort of thing? Like, uh, you know, funding uh, for students uh, options that are kind of around or that you know of mm-hmm. or that you might have? Yeah, that's a huge I've got a few me- members who have who have already applied for their for their Canada Council grants for professional development for artists. So that grant um, and I listed I'll, actually I'll put it up on our news section because I've just posted that to the Facebook and Twitter feed. Um, and I'd like to, I will be working on putting together a PDF for potential students who don't have the means and saying, this is the portal you go through. Here are some grant writing tips. Here's the information you need about me um, and Citadel in order to apply. But yeah, I mean, write into info at the citadelretreat.com. Ask me for the information you need. Generally, you need the acceptance from me that I that we want to work with you as a member, and then I can send you a sort of a CV of mine or or the mentor you're working with, and you can apply for funding and get this whole thing fully covered, which I love. Yeah, and also, if you're listening, thecitadelretreat.com is the website where you know we you, you can sign up for updates about the Citadel and just get other information about it. And uh, as and Robin Richardson, uh, where are you online? Um, my website would be sithowyouwant.org so and on same on Instagram sit how you want. yeah I think I think everything's sit how you want except Twitter <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I forget your Twitter handle offhand I think it's Robin underscore RR yeah but I just I, I know it vaguely because um, I quoted my new book has a quote from Robin's <laughs> Twitter feed <laughs> I love that <laughs> yeah, it's like I worked it into a poem um <laughs> So that's like a weird, you know, sort of side note. Uh, what was the line? Is very <laughs> worthwhile. Um, <laughs> are there any other things that you think uh, makes Citadel kind of unique or, or interesting, like, you know, very different from, say, uh, the MFA experience or just something that you think would be, you know, what, what did you, what would you, when you're looking at how designing this program and kind of, mm-hmm thinking about how you want to take it in the future, I assume part of what you're doing is looking at kind of what you, what you wish you had had uh, yeah. when you were kind of, you know, 
trying to figure some of these things out. I know that when I do these podcasts, it's something that I just always have in mind. Like, what do I wish somebody would have told me? <laughs> or I, exactly. you know, or even now, exactly. like, what are things that I still ha- want to know more about and I haven't? And I wish I knew, you know, 10 years ago. Uh, so I'm just wondering, like, what are the sort of core things you think make Citadel experience just different? Yeah, I mean, so there, there are maybe three core points. I mean, the one, as we've discussed, is that individualized attention, understanding your needs and goals and making sure that you're actually getting, because, you know, the MFA, you you have your class and maybe a teacher likes you and pays a little extra attention, um, but not, I mean, not to the degree that they're they're really sitting there thinking about how, how you can succeed personally. <laughs> like That's not a preoccupation generally. And you're very lucky if you get that kind of mentorship. So I, and I just naturally, anyone I work with, I think, what is your full potential? Um, that's another part of it, though. You know, I think the MFA has a, at least in my experience, and, and I love love my school, so I'm not, <laughs> this is just, it didn't work for me. But there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of good enough and, you know, teaching, but not really, it wasn't as aggressive as I would have liked. And my approach to teaching and the way Citadel promotes teaching is a little more, um, it's a little more aggressive. Like, like I say, I want you to really leave your ego at the door and come in willing to take instruction and willing to try things that might be uncomfortable because you're trusting that your mentors can see a greater path for you than you can. So that's a very, it's a very intimate and, and, uh, unusual way of doing things, um, so I, I think that one's important and the way that the community unfolds. Like we, I, I want this to also be a really pleasurable and interesting experience. So the spaces that we create, I don't know if you saw pictures from our, our launch party, but it was really luscious and, and fun and beautiful. And the space here in the Toronto clubhouse is designed to be the same way. So I want people to come and feel special and good and comfortable enough to kind of let go and, and really grow. So there's that intimacy. And then in terms of the, the structure, because there's, there isn't this institutional overhead, um, I've been talking to the mentors who are applying, who work in institutions, and I think the amount that a mentor is able to make is greater, and, the, and yet the cost that a member pays is lower. <laughs> so it works out really beautifully. If I'm, I think one of the... I mean, there's, there are good things with for NFA programs, but, but one of the problems... Mm-hmm is the situation inside the university and it's a bureaucratic issue uh, i mean at one point in my phd program i actually created a form because the form i wanted didn't exist so i made a fake form and submitted the fake form and it was a, and then they had to legitimate it as a real form and it was a very complicated bureaucratic okay. thing but it but mm-hmm. it, i know that i was very lucky to have a, an excellent mentor uh, in my I didn't do an MFA program, but I did a PhD program that had a creative mm-hmm. thesis option. And so, um, uh, but I was very lucky. I worked with Suzette Mayer, uh, who, you know, was excellent, exactly, you know, the person I needed to be with, work with and, and really, you know, fully invested, fully cares. She, she's, she mm-hmm. since became my biggest supporter on Patreon. Like, you know, she's very, you know, um, Dude, very one in a million wonderful, supportive things. person. But... When I was there at the time, politically, it was a bad decision to work with Suzette, you know, like in terms of trying to 
you know, move my academic career forward and get a job at an MFA program and so on, I would have been better off picking a different person. At the time, Suzette didn't have an, a PhD. She now has a PhD. But I remember there was mm-hmm. a bunch, because she didn't have, um, it, it was a situation where even the department for was sort of, you know, suggesting maybe I might want, we had to get special permission for her to be able to be my supervisor and so on. Um, so, you know, it all worked out and I'm happy with the end result, but it, I, I could, and it, and it worked out fine. Like I, I had a good experience in that program overall and, you know, with all the different professors uh, as well. But I, I would keep coming up to these bureaucratic hurdles where basically, they were trying to stop me from doing what I wanted to do. <laughs> and um, they had good reasons, but they were wrong. Um, and, right. you know, and then Suzette at the same time would be pushing back on certain things I wanted to do, and, but was right. <laughs> you know, and so I found it was a real negotiation. Um, and, and so much of it could have just not been a negotiation. Like it could have just been, simpler and streamlined and just me and Suzette and, and then, you know, having the access to these other people, you know, at time to time at, at an events. Like, so it seems like to me like a very, like very much the kind of program that I th- kind of wish an MFA program was, if that makes sense. And so I, I really appreciate, um, you know, you starting this, moving forward this thing and kind of, I'm very curious to see where it goes. Um, so I guess I'm wondering, sort of coming out of this, in terms of, like, like, was there a mentor that was really important to you? Uh, is this sort of where part of this uh, drive came? Or do you kind of just wish you had had that and didn't? Like, where yeah, does sort of your interest in mentorship itself come from? It, it comes in time. This is actually how most of what I end up doing in my life forms. It, it really does. I mean, and again, I had great teachers at Sarah Lawrence. Um, but no, I, I have never had a, a really dedicated long-term mentor, and I've never been pushed um, the way I wanted to be pushed, and I've never had that career counseling that I wanted. So I fumbled so much, and then I meet these people who really knew what they were doing, and I was envious, and I, I don't understand how they figured it out so fast. But they had established mentors who were dedicated to what they were doing. So everything I do here, I do because it's what I wanted. And, um, and it's not just what I wanted for myself and what I want for my students, but I can see, I love the idea of, of the new writers coming up in Canada, having a much better handle on what they're doing and being more, um, open-minded and diplomatic and less egotistical about their work and more willing to learn and more willing to help each other. And I feel like I can guide and lead that, that slow shift through Citadel with a real focus on, um, on genuine growth and genuine engagement and kind of get rid of a, a bit of the, the things like, like I'm selfish in all of this. I'm, I mean, I guess not. I'm giving people what I wish I had, but I, I'm also creating the environment I, I wish I had. I, I've found, um, I, I mean, I was, as I say, very lucky to have sort of Suzette as a mentor, uh, Suzette Mayer as a mentor, and also the screenwriter, George Tolls, who was a screenwriter for Guy Madden, was a very uh, powerful mm. mentor figure for me. And I can look back and, like, think of, like, where every moment in my career where I did something right is because of something I learned from those people. And right. all the other times I was screwing things up. Yeah, it's so important. It really is important. 
And I can, and I love seeing the shift when I work with people throughout the years and seeing how they just blossom. And sometimes it's just about confidence. Sometimes they just needed somebody to see what they were doing and to acknowledge what direction it could go in and what they were capable of. Um, but I really, yeah, I really, I mean, a few pats on the back in school, great, but I really didn't get that, that guidance. And I made so many mistakes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you've done, you're doing well. As, <laughs> so, but, it, but as you say, like, it, it's, it's, um, it, I got it just here. really helps <laughs> to have uh, somebody you can go to, to to ask a question and get, you know, uh, an answer that isn't, yeah. No, not necessarily the answer you have to accept fully 100%, but, you know, that has some context around it. And there's so many invisible things you don't necessarily understand. Even just basic well, practical things like like taxes as a writer. Like things mm-hmm. that people don't talk about. But you could ask somebody, you know, like a mentor yeah, who exactly. would have, you know, could, you could know, push you in a direction more specifically. Yeah, and it takes so many writers to learn about things. Like, it, it, you have to be talking to the right kind of generous person at the right party to go, what's public lending rights? Yeah. <laughs> what's the writer's reserve? Sitting you know, over here beside me being quiet is this guy, uh, this artist, Gregory Kapichik. I'm his his studio here where I work sometimes. And I harassed him for like five years to get public lending right forms filled out. And he finally did it. <laughs> <laughs> and he's you know he, he's so high doing well with it he's making more money on me on this public than he's right and you know but and he's and yeah, further along in his career than i was but still didn't know about public planning right mm-hmm. uh, so as you say like you don't want to be necessarily depending on those chance encounters or people harassing you at a, <laughs> at a party or on the street you know if you could have a more structured way to go about it or pursue the things you want to pursue it I think it certainly helps to have I mean the MFA program has its values certainly but mm-hmm, you know mm-hmm. now you're in as you say for a whole university degree and the expense is astronomical when maybe you don't and I think necessarily for want the, that. For the university yeah I think and I think it's hard for the university to know whether they're giving each individual student everything they need you've got all your different classes you choose them you know it's not that the program isn't set up so that you understand your um, contract negotiation and grant applications and you understand your as well as you understand your craft as well as you understand how to find content in, within yourself as well as you understand how to communicate with your peers you know whereas this I, you know it will i think this will expand um, so I, I really have to set into place how we're going to make sure that it can expand with that central nervous system that understands and makes sure that every student is getting access to all the information they need, which is part of why the vault is so important because that will all be there over time. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. It's been really uh, informative. And I think, and and if you're listening and you're thinking you need to know more about the Citadel retreat um, and again, go to the Citadel retreat.com or, you know, search for Citadel and Robin Richardson and, Mm -hmm. uh, you can take a look you're there they have application forms they have other information on the site and there's a calendar of uh what's coming up um if you want to just get a sense of the kinds of you know how the program looks and what kind of events are actually happening um mm-hmm. do you have any kind of last things you want to say robin about citadel or about um just sort of what you're looking forward to in the next uh year with it um yeah not 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 really i will say that for anyone who's curious um one of the benefits of getting in this early is that I, there's, there's still a lot of time and movement and things are still flexible. So you can call me if you want to know more about it, (laughs) just give me a call and I have some time to talk. Um, and just to let people know that it will be over the next two months in particular, like 
November, December is when we'll start really taking on up, um, new members because we're going to, we're going to get those mentors up. So eventually you'll see, I think a set I'm going for some six really, really, some really, I, I, and I can't, I'm not going to say who yet, but I have great applications coming in for mentors. So that's exciting. So look for that maybe in a month and, and yeah, give a call and ask questions. I want this to be really accessible. Apply for the grant, um, take your time, but I love the idea that you can just have this. <laughs> yeah. Thank you.